0: I mean, I've seen some of these charts where I think INRO has been looking into some of their databases and showing that how many of the currently existing properties will be so-called stranded assets in, say, only 10-15 years from today. And that is actually quite a, I would say, eye-opening picture.
1: Welcome back to the Workboard podcast where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions to space as a service this podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way if you're an investor a fund manager developer property manager agent or broker be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode I'm your host Kayla Parker and this is episode 4 of season 9 sponsored by Delta Q In this episode, I'm joined by Ilka Tumperi, partner and chief operating officer for Nordic asset management and investment company, Capman Real Estate, which is publicly listed on the NASDAQ in Helsinki, Finland. Ilka and I are both alumni of the Real Innovation Academy and have been following each other closely over the past couple years on Twitter and LinkedIn. I was excited to finally meet him in person for the first time at Nipum and record this podcast together. In this episode, Ilk and I talk about Capman's value-added strategy and how they're approaching the growing gap between supply and demand in office real estate, including investments to repurpose assets to bring them up to sustainable standards. We discuss Finland's multi-tenant flexibility structures and how the market values income not locked into long-term leases there. The valuer community in Finland have a different perspective and don't necessarily count on guaranteed future income. In addition to Office, Capman also invests in the hotel asset class, so I was curious to hear Ilka's perspective on the hotel analogy as we create the future of the office and whether that will impact cap rates and the office investing business plan. Not only does he have a good answer for that, he shares an interesting project that merges hotel and office quite literally. Now I can't tell you about the entire show in this intro, but I have to say Ilka shares an interesting perspective on how building values with long leases depreciate over time. You're going to want to listen to this episode twice. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. You may have seen our headline sponsor Delta Q just raise 8 million euros to fund their international expansion. Delta Q is the leader in reducing energy consumption and CO2 emissions in the commercial real estate sector. Later in the show, we hear from Delta Q's UK director why this is important for our industry. Without further ado... Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bowl Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Parker. And today, we're at Mipham again, all season long. A big shout out to NorNorm for this amazing furniture that we have set up in our studio here, which you guys can't see listening. But if you go to my social media, you'll see it all over LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you, NorNorm. But today, I am speaking with the partner and chief operating officer, for Catman Real Estate out of Helsinki, Finland. Ilka is an experienced international investment professional and leader with a demonstrated history of working in various roles in the commercial real estate industry. He's got a background in portfolio management, investments, M&A, capital markets, private equity, real estate, and of course, what we're talking about this season a lot, ESG. Welcome to the Work World Podcast, Ilka. Thank you very much. You guys don't know this, but Doug and I have been connected on Twitter and LinkedIn for quite some time. We met a couple years ago online on Drawer Poleg, and Anthony Slumber's Real Innovation Academy.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I think that this really shows how there were some positives from COVID as well, kind of getting more international online.
1: It's amazing how many friends that I've met in our industry around the world virtually and then have opportunities like MIPM to be able to meet people face-to-face and seeing you for the first time today is amazing. What I want to talk about today, you've returned to Catman Real Estate. You've been in the role now for almost two months. Five weeks. A short period of time. Yes. But I know you guys as a real estate company, you manage across all asset classes from resi, retail, office. What am I missing? Warehouses, hotels. Hotels, yes. Yes. So we're going to come on to the hotel stuff in a minute, because as everybody knows, I believe the future of office real estate is what the hotel industry looks like. I guess, first of all, to set the stage, why are you at MIPIM? What
0: sort of conversations are you having? I'm meeting here a lot of old connections, and I think that this is really a great place to to keep those connections alive. Also, of course, making new friends. I think some of the dinners, cocktails are good places, of course, to exchange business cards and get connected.
1: Indeed, indeed. I, I haven't been out to the late parties this year. Did one last year and said, I'm not going to do it again. I've got early morning meetings, so I'm not doing the late stuff. But I agree with you. It's been great to hang out with people and build those relationships. It's funny because some people say, oh, you can get so many deals done at Mipom. I was like, there's no deals being done at Mipom. It's all about building relationships. You do the deals later.
0: Absolutely. That's also how I see it because here you, it's still quite crowded, noisy. You can't really concentrate too much. But afterwards, then it's very easy to catch up again and say that, hey, I mentioned you this thing, so let's focus on it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And down here in the bunker where we are in the road to zero area next to Propel, if we could sit in here all day long, we don't see the sun, but it's sun shining outside as it does in Cannes. And I go out for lunch every day. So the thing about it is throughout the week, you you get a little bit more color, more color. And by the weekend, you've got a tan. Yeah, that's the target. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get down to business. It's no secret that The world of office is changing massively. There's a lot of conversation here at MIPM about this. This season, we've got a threat of ESG because as the Urban Land Institute have just come out saying, is that there's a massive growing gap between supply and demand. New customer demand for hospitality and service is requiring real estate to become more operational. Employees are looking for companies that are purpose-driven, that care about the environment. ESG is becoming a major initiative. And there's a lot of assets that will be left behind, which creates a big problem, but also a big opportunity. So I'm curious,
0: what is Catman's view and how are you approaching this time of change? Yes, indeed. I mean, real estate has not changed too much during its long history, but now I have a feeling, and I think everybody's experiencing it. There are big things making waves now. And I think that all the kind of participants in in this business, needs to be agile and and really adjusting to the changing habits and ways of using real estate. So for us, that means that we are in principle, mostly a value add investor and repositioning assets is actually very much in our heart. And now with the ESG, for example, the repositioning that historically was more like doing buildings nicer and, and taking care of old assets, making them look attractive again and, and retenant them. Now, at the same time, of course, we take even more care about the, increasing the sustainability, reducing the CO2 emissions in the operational life. And I think that this is the big challenge for all property owners and investors now. It is indeed. And w- in one of the
1: conversations around that challenge is the cost around it. And Lizette Van Dorn, CEO of Urban Land Institute, says you know, is it really a cost? Of course, it's a cost, it's a capital cost, but it's really an investment. And if we don't invest in these retrofits and, and, and bringing these assets up to speed, they will become stranded assets and that becomes a liability.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I've seen some of these charts where I think inro has been looking into some of their databases and showing that how many of the currently existing properties will be so-called stranded assets in, say, only 10, 15 years from today. And that is actually quite a, I would say, eye-opening picture.
1: So what I found was interesting about your portfolio and and really Finland on a macro level is the fact that you guys have a different, slightly different lease structure there. And I wonder if this leads into my dream of the future of real estate. If I can ask you to elaborate, whereas in in London, in other cities around the world, companies are expected to sign long-term leases at whatever the market rent is whereas in finland you have a structure and maybe
0: you could tell me what percentage of this is but where they actually are on shorter terms so how does that work yeah so i mean we also have these long-term leases typically for headquarter type of buildings where you sign 10 15 year leases for hotels leases tend to be around 20 years so we have for social real estate same thing for schools whatever special purpose buildings we have long leases retail yes But then in the office sector, we also have a history that especially urban city center offices may actually have quite short lease maturities. And this is really about the multi-tenanted buildings. And now when there are these discussions about how to value actually the uncertainty of the cash flow. So, of course, you take it into account in in the yield requirement. But the trading history is one, one key thing here. So if you have a building that has been existing already for multiple years, if not decades, you can actually look at, okay, who moved in when and, and how long these uh, tenants have been in the building. And seeing that data, you can then build confidence that actually the cash flow is rather sticky. There are always someone leaving, but it's only 5-10% of the total income, for example, which will be then replaced. Benefit of this structure is, of course, that when rents are increasing, maybe more rapidly than inflation, you are catching up that increase quicker than with the long-term inflation link rent contracts. Of course, the the other side of the equation is that if the market is, is really slowing down, so you also got hit on, on these releases. But that said, so valuers in Finland at least are used to these type of buildings where lease maturities are on average a couple of years, but you have multiple tenants. So I'm glad you made that last point, you, the fact that you have multiple tenants, it, because it becomes having
1: that diversity de risks it for you because if people are on rolling terms, these terms are what six to twelve months? You said.
0: Yeah, I mean, typically in in these classical buildings, you may have these at will contracts, as we call them, with to the, say twelve months rolling notice period. So technically, you may have in a building a couple of tenants with three five year leases, and then some others with with these twelve months notice periods. So that brings the weighted average lease length down in in a building. But I said so when when you know that. Some of these tenants may have been around for several years. So you, you build up this confidence that cash flow will remain.
1: So you're looking at the historical data there. You see that the, 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 the average tenure of those mm-hmm. tenants, of those customers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does that same logic or could that same logic apply for less than 12 months, meaning on a month to month or less, if you have the trading history?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, of course, 12 months give you a confidence so that you have actually 12 months of guaranteed rent, but even shorter. So if we think about certain these flexible office type of operations where contracts are are typically much, much shorter. So I think the key is really to see that if the location works and you have been performing well and you have had a nice occupancy ratio in the past, so that should be the proof same way as in these historical, say, multi-tenanted buildings with short leases.
1: Since we're talking ESG again, let's pop over to Adam Gadiali, Delta Q's UK director. Adam, the WorkBold audience is made up of office real estate professionals spanning 50 countries. Tell us a little bit about your international expansion plans for Delta Q and why that's important for office buildings.
2: Reducing energy consumption is a major challenge for real estate organizations, especially since the sector is responsible for nearly 30% of the European Union's carbon emissions. Delta Q is a purpose-driven organization, and we partner with the largest real estate companies in the world to fight climate change and to help our customers towards net zero carbon with our triple strategy. This is what we like to call Map, Plan, Act.
1: Thank you, Adam. More on Delta Q's triple strategy later in the show. So naturally, my next question is going to lead to the hotels. So you've got a unique perspective because you're investing across all these asset classes. And if you are looking at the office asset class and you look at the demands from customers today for space as a service and that growing need for flexibility, but also service and hospitality, and then you look at the hotel, the hotel asset class that you're investing in, are, are you expecting the future of office to look like hotels, which is what I keep calling for, and and so I guess that's one question, but it's going to be a deep question. because Does that mean that the cap rates of the hotel industry is going to apply? And does the business model change? Tell me what you're thinking there.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the tenants requirements on amenities and services in office buildings are increasing and, and the hotelization is, is something that is, is obviously happening because of that. And uh, I mean, my, my thinking is that clearly this means that especially in bigger offices where you have really enough volume, you are able to build up these services. You are able to do some nice common areas with, with amenities. You have a uh, shared meeting rooms and, and other, other services and, and so on. So that, that clearly works. And the other thing is that investors are also getting more used to hybrid products because historically, if you were an office investor, you only wanted to buy offices. If you were investing into hotels, you didn't necessarily want to buy a hotel and an office or something, hotel and a residential. And now I think that the lines between the asset classes are blurring a little bit. And I think that a good example of that is actually a deal that we did in Stockholm recently. So if I may tell a few words about that. Please do. Yeah. So so late last year was an announcement that we acquired actually in, in Stockholm a building where there is a rather big office and a hotel with conference venues and and so on built together. It's a historical building. We will be refurbishing it. We will be re-tenanting it. We have a new operator for the hotel. But more importantly, what we are doing is that the office part, which is the front of the building, used to be there. And then hotel guests were walking through the office lobby to enter the hotel. What we are doing is that we plan to kind of move the hotel actually more towards the main entrance so that actually the office tenants go through the hotel lobby to their offices, which obviously integrates these businesses. And I think that supports both because then you have the meeting rooms of the hotel that some of the office occupiers can book by hour or day when they need, may help them actually to rent a little bit less office space for themselves because you don't need to pick conference venues or meeting rooms even on weekly basis. So, so it's much better that you pay there hotel operator obviously gets clients already from their own building, So I think there are a lot of synergies. Lots of synergy and I think it's a, it's, it's a wow for me because
1: we've said that the world of hospitality and the world of office real estate are merging, but it, in, we see hotels bringing in offices in mm. partnering with the likes of different brands in our industry. And then we've seen a lot of the serviced office industry become more of a leasing strategy of an office building, which adds the hospitality aspect to the building. But this is new to me. I I don't know that I've seen a lot of hotel and offices be combined to bring those two asset classes into one asset.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some examples. In my previous job, actually, I was developing an office building in central Helsinki, which was also partly a hotel. And the idea was the same, so that we have the restaurants and coffee shops kind of run by probably the hotel operator or someone else and again the same kind of sharing of the meeting rooms with office occupiers happens and more or less same entrance and lobby for those so I think that there will be probably more examples of this but of course what is probably more common is that in a multi-tenanted office or in a larger office building you actually rent part of the space for example to someone who specialized in serviced offices and, and kind of providing the the content to the building and we also have done these type of projects where we are more traditional but for example the operator caters for the needs of smaller tenants which may not be say institutional quality and property owner does not necessarily want to sign leases for single rooms but there is a lot of demand for these, especially in, in good central locations or, or logistics hubs. So small companies want to have these and they want to be associated with the bigger firms.
1: When you do these kind of deals and bring in these operators, are they are they lease structures or are they
0: management agreements? What, is, what does that look like? It, it varies case by case, but I would say that typically these are lease structures. But of course, it's not necessarily fully fixed lease, but there is component of, of some kind of flexible rent and i think that this is the thing that property owners of course need to accept in these type of situations and then it comes a little bit to the hotel thing so you want to have so good operators so that the occupancy of that shared office space is also high and actually property owner can earn also even higher rents from that space than it, through leasing it traditionally to say one single big tenant so i want to go back to the concept of these at will
1: structures <laughs> you're talking about earlier <laughs> if I'm a global investor and I'm looking at all the different markets and I look at London or New York or Amsterdam and I can buy a building there where the leases are 20 year terms at whatever the market rents are, or I look at Helsinki and I've got these at will structures is, is, is one better
0: than the other? What's driving my decision as an investor where to go? It depends. Of course, typically I would say that the big single-tenanted office assets or headquarters are suitable for certain institutional investors. You can buy these buildings without not necessarily having a huge local property asset management team on on site because you you don't have that much to do there. The flip side of that type of an asset is that the value is obviously depreciating over time when, when the lease is getting shorter. You're saying that
1: the value of a long-term lease, the value of the asset from the time I buy that building, the value is going down.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, it may go up as well, depends on the markets and how markets are valuing offices and and how the demand of office space is is developing. But I think that in many cases, you see, because the building is aging all the time, we know that a 15-year-old building, which has not been refurbished, it's absolutely not attractive at all. So you have a huge capex requirements that will be built up during the long lease. And so, of course, in a multi-tenanted building where you have some longer leases, some little bit shorter ones, you have a little bit of need for asset management all the time or at least every now and then, but you're also upgrading the building constantly are keeping it kind of up to speed where the market is. And in that sense, you won't have these big tenant events in a way. The other thing is, of course, that occasionally even rather good big tenants do have issues and and challenges. So it's not a hundred percent guarantee that you will have that 15 years of guaranteed indexed rent. But that said, so I think that in a real estate portfolio, I think you should have both and different types of properties suit different types of investors and situations as well. Okay. So Ilka, when we go back to that logic of the flexible
1: structures at will, or even less than 12 months, and it's looking more like a hotel from a revenue perspective. But we can see, uh, over time, the data and the tenure of of those customers that are in that building and what the revenue looks like. Even though there's a little bit of churn, it's stable. Is there a business case to exit those assets from the opportunistic or value-add fund that it might have started with into a core plus fund that requires lower risk
0: i think that the jury is still partly out in that regards because again historically and i think still today as a core investor you you really appreciate the cash flow and the maturity of the cash flow is also of importance so i think that if we are really talking about core type of capital or investors i think that they still have a hard time underwriting what you are describing but i think that things will probably change over time. The market is changing very rapidly. Office market is changing extremely rapidly at the moment. Uh, But again, there are luckily different types of sources of capital and risk profiles. So not only core and and value-add or opportunistic, you also have something called Core Plus, which is typically high-quality assets in good locations that do require a little bit of attention, and typically that attention is leasing. So I think that Core Plus type of investors with the their cost of capital, which is a little bit higher than the core investors, could already, again, in a portfolio, start accepting some of these buildings. But again, I think that we are quite far away from the day when you want your entire office portfolio, cash flow wise, be extremely short. So it's, it's
1: about the diversification and and, and and allocating some capital towards these types of assets. Absolutely, absolutely. And is that core plus? Uh, Investor profile, is that the type of investor profile
0: that's investing in hotels now? At the moment, I think that Core Plus type of capital is is quite typical to go into hotels, for example. And again, in the hotels, I mean, the key thing to differentiate, we have listeners from all around the world here, I guess. so 50 countries. uh, Okay, that's good. So it is pretty much so. We have actually in the Northern Europe, so Nordics, Germany, for example, typically have long fixed lease contracts for hotels with a turnover-based component. So the hotel leases don't actually differ a lot from the office leases. So this is quite different to what we have in in some other markets where you really have these operating contracts or or the landlord is actually quite risk-facing position in regards to how the hotel is performing and where you as property owner then, if things are not going well, actually change the operator or the brand of the hotel to try that maybe this one works better. In that sense, again, the capital that will invest into hotels with lease contracts, with fixed leases and long leases, I think that the capital that goes into hotels which are more taking operational risk is already, per se, typically more higher risk capital. I
1: feel like we could have a masterclass. This episode is a masterclass on real estate investment. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to share your insights with us, Ilka. It's been fantastic. I have to ask a question, just bringing it back to... Closing it out on, on a lighter note. How long have you been
0: coming to Mipham? I think that I've been here every now and then for the past 15 years at least. Do you have a favorite restaurant? I don't because I mean, there are so many places, and uh, since you only get here like once a year for Mipham, so I, I don't have. Okay. All right. Well, I was looking for a suggestion for tonight, so I,
1: I'll have to ask somebody else. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I think there are people who know good recommendations for you. I'm sure.
1: I'm yes. sure. I can give you one actually already. Ilko, so, okay, We'll put a link below in the show notes for people to connect with you on LinkedIn and Twitter and also to Catman Real Estate's website. Thank you again for coming on. And for those of you listening today, until next time, take care of yourself. Before we close this episode out, a final update from Adam Gadioli on Delta Q's triple strategy.
2: As I mentioned earlier, everything we do needs to help the commercial real estate sector drastically reduce its carbon emissions. That's our purpose. We start with connecting building portfolios with our AI solution and commit ourselves to clear results, which include CO2 and energy reduction, operational efficiency and comfort optimization. Firstly, in order to reduce the building's energy consumption, we deploy our technology across building portfolios. We do this by mapping the building through a digital diagnosis or creating a digital twin of the building. This also includes precise local weather forecast and occupancy data. Secondly, through planning, which is where we conduct a physical diagnosis of the building with our HVAC and BMS specialists to ensure that the availability of data is as closely aligned with reality. From there, we identify building and system anomalies, build a roadmap towards savings, and advise on the carbon return of retrofit investments. Thirdly, by taking action. This is where we take both digital and physical data and automate repetitive savings through our AI steering of the HVAC systems. That's our triple strategy. There you go. What an important purpose.
1: Be sure to visit DeltaQ.io to learn more and listen to episode eight this season, where I got to sit down with DeltaQ's CEO, Khadija Nadia, at Mipham for a deeper dive into their purpose of helping the real estate sector on the road to zero. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drumroll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.